Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast. My name is Alicia and I am all the way from South Africa. I know it's been a long time since I recorded a podcast and I'm extremely sorry. Life has been hectic. Um yeah, like I work extreme hours while I'm in Poland and I've been home in South Africa for a vacation for about 3 weeks now and I will be here for one more week so a total of a month and a few days before I head home to Poland or well my other home and yeah sorry I haven't had time to record another podcast well that's it for those of you who are new welcome this is Hello Poland My name is Alicia, your host, and I talk about a whole range of things from scary stories to crime. But today I'm going to focus on some history of South Africa. I am not a history buff, but I am interested in it. Um recently I became more interested in it. Now let's begin. In the year 1899, a war started in South Africa. It was the Anglo-Boer War, and it was between the British and the self-governing Afrikaner colonies of the Transvaal and Orange Free State regions of South Africa of the Southern African Republic. Now, the Afrikaners were the Dutch. um they were also called boere or boers um and they had the regions in south africa that they like mostly lived in now the war began due to the afrikaners giving the british an ultimatum to stop building up their forces in their regions Now the British were building up their forces because gold was discovered in multiple areas in South Africa. So they wanted the money or the gold. They started um bringing in armies, etc., etc. Now um another reason why this war started was because the Afrikaners they refused to give political rights to non-boer settlers um and it wasn't just a war that was between the british and the afrikaners because many africans and non-europeans were involved um either by fighting or they played other roles in the war troops that fought for britain came not only from the mainland but from Canada and Australia as well. Now, although this is quite an interesting story that I will come back to in the near future, there is another part of this war that I want to tell you about. I honestly don't know how many people are familiar with the South African history because it is an interesting history. Like Honestly, if you've got time, do some research. It was multiple countries colonizing the southern African coast. Now, 
first, in South Africa, there were native Africans and other African um, colonies um, migrated more south. So after that, the Dutch came and with the Dutch came Malaysians um, as slaves and who knows what else. And then the British came and Indians from India also came. And then the French came. So you can understand what type of mess was in South Africa. Eventually, like Germans came. It's just a mixed pot of all sorts of people. Um, and well, now South Africa is called the Rainbow Nation for one specific reason all the colorful people within South Africa. And as I mentioned, I don't want to speak about the whole Anglo-Boer War itself. There is the part of the war that I want to talk about. And it was actually the concentration camps of South Africa. Now, while I've been in South Africa, I've actually been visiting different areas. We went to Kruger National Park. And on our way back, we actually drove past a monument and I asked my dad about it. So my father started to tell me about what it represented and what happened in the areas. And I honestly never really cared for the, I would say, dark history of South Africa or history in general of South Africa. I never really studied it when we learned about it in school. I was always, you know, daydreaming. Um, But I thought about doing this as my podcast because it honestly piqued my interest. And I thought of sharing some of the information with you. I've done a lot of research, but, um, you know, the some of the numbers differ depending on the websites and the things you read. Now, although the war started in 1899, towards the end of the 1900s, like literally um, towards the end of 1870-something, Way after Britain invaded the Afrikaner republics, the British army actually formed a, I would say, housing area, Um, more like a refugee camp for residents of those republics. Now, there was a British man, Lord Roberts. He was the chief commander of the British forces and they occupied the free state capital of the Orange Free State, um, Bloemfontein, which is one of our capital cities now. We have three capital cities, just to be clear, but it's still one of our capital cities in South Africa. So they occupied the capital, Bloemfontein, um, in March 1900, literally 1900. He then issued an order for the Bure 
to lay down their weapons and um, actually sign an oath of neutrality. But um, <laughs> they had to lay down their arms. Um, they couldn't participate in the war and then only could they return to their farms. So give or take about 20,000 Afrikaner or Bure, about one third of the fa- uh, men and the families accepted this offer and they became protected burghers, like protected citizens. So Roberts actually hoped that this policy would end the war between the Bure and the British, but um, then the British occupied Pretoria, which is one of our other capital cities. Um, it's the Transvaal capital of that time. And um, <laughs> on the 5th of June 1900, he saw that there was no end in sight. The Afrikaners started attacking the railway lines and they called it the Gorilla War. Like gorilla, but not spelled like gorilla. Now, because the Bura didn't, you know, accept the offer and they started attacking the railway tracks, Roberts retaliated um, and he stated that for every attack on the railway line, a homestead would be burnt down. So homestead is like the farm. Um, but it wasn't effective. People still attacked the railway lines. And so he then told them that all homesteads within a 16 kilometer radius of the attack will be burnt to the ground and all livestock will either be killed or taken away and all the crops will be destroyed. Sorry. Um, and that was a way for them to stop that the Bure, the fighting Bure, would not be able to get food or shelter. Um, but, <laughs> you know, that did not stop the Bure. Now, in the process, another British person took over from Roberts, and his name was Lord Kitchener. And that happened in November. And now, um, this thing where they burnt the homesteads and everything that had a specific name and it was the scorched earth policy now kitchener he dramatically intensified that policy homesteads and whole towns were burned to the ground even if no attack happened um one of the towns that i read about was ermelo And Ermelo, only one house was left standing. And you can actually go see the house. um, But I know people live in there. And I don't, I did not look through all the towns because my goodness gracious, so many towns. But it was just one that I was curious about. Now, um, he then, yes, almost all the Afrikaner homesteads 
About 30,000 were burned to the ground and thousands of livestock were killed. Um, and the two republics, Transvaal and Orange Free State, were entirely devastated. Like he caused so much chaos and destruction. Um, now, in the meantime, the Boer um, were reorganizing their commandos um, because they had some major setbacks and they then started trying to re-mobilizing the, the Bure that lay down their arms, the, like the protected burghers, the protected citizens from Roberts. But um, Roberts knew that potentially his protected citizens would not be protected anymore so he felt like he should protect his oath takers and he gathered them in refugee camps and the first two were established in Bloemfontein and actually um, Pretoria in September now but now due to Kitchener burning so many farms and towns to the ground women and children were left with no homes and no food so they were also brought to the camps and they actually were called the undesirables because they were families of the Boer, Boers or Boero Afrikaners still fighting in the war or they were families of um, some of the prisoners of war and um, in the camps they were actually given fewer rations than the desirable families. Now one of the problems were the camps weren't badly chosen. Um, some of the later camps they were they were in areas where it was difficult to move due to the heavy rains in the summer and they even had some freezing temperatures in winter some were far away from water so a lot of diseases broke out um, they had a lot of problems with collecting food and getting food for the people so um, because of more and more people arriving less and less food was being distributed to the undesirables you know undesirables what did I just say and even if they had refugee camps, um, some of the people stayed in torn tents and grass huts and many of the people slept on the ground due to a lack of beds and um, the necessary resources that we need to have a refugee camp. Now, the undesirable families eventually outnumbered the protected citizens um seven to three so for every three people there were seven undesirables um and they were actually the undesirables were actually um forcibly put on ox, ox wagons or open railway trucks and taken to the camps um completely against their will and they were not really moved for their protection um, and safety and they were not fed what people need to sustain their bodies 
Um, now, the British actually did this to end the resistance of the Afrikaners. They're like, we have your wife. We have your children. Lay down your arms. You will see them again. Um, but yes, more more complicated matters arose. So the camps had very bad administration. It was absolutely appalling. The food was extremely poor quality the sanitary conditions were deplorable so (laughs) terrible Um, the tents were overcrowded and the medical assistance was absolutely useless to some extent you know Um, not enough doctors and nurses and some of them just like up and left quit um, because of the workload and the stress now during that time little was known on handling epidemics as well and measles broke out typhoid fever broke out people died of pneumonia malnutrition malaria dysentery so a lot of problems came with it um it was it was hectic and especially with the cold temperatures of some of the chosen areas like standerton um standerton and its surrounding areas are one of the coldest areas known in South Africa. Like in winter time, in the mornings, it can get into the minuses, like minus six, minus seven, minus. It can maybe go to minus ten. I'm not sure. Um, and in summertime, a mass amounts of rain. So mud, 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 mud floods, um, and not enough shelter. You know. So it's it was really not thought of well now the british commanders also took action against black south africans and established 64 to 66 concentration camps for them across the transvaal and orange free state and the conditions were very similar to those of the white concentration camps the afrikaner concentration camps um, black people were actually taken off the land to stop the Boer from getting supplies from them. And also that the British could use the black men as laborers in the gold mines. Now, one of the things that I saw in between my research, because I've been to Auschwitz in, in Poland, um, difference for me between the South African concentration camps and the extermination camps that Hitler had was that South Africa's wasn't for systematic murder um, where Hitler was his intent was murdering Um, so a lot of people in South Africa died but it wasn't their intent you know well that we know of I mean, we can not really ask dead people such intricate questions. Now, the concentration camps for the Bure or Afrikaners, there were a total of about 40 to 45 camps and about 150,000 refugees lived in it. Um, There were, give or take, 28,000 men um, who were captured in the process and became um, what is it called um, something of war what is it I'm sorry 
That was a brain fart. Oh yes, prisoners of war. It came slowly but surely, you know, sorry. Um, yes, and so from the prisoners of war, the, uh, the 28,000, about 25,630 men were sent overseas, so to never to see, be seen again. Um, and from the 150,000 of the people in the concentration camps, nearly 48,000 people, mostly women and children, died in these camps. And um, women were like, the numbers were like ridiculous. The ridiculous numbers of children under 16, women slightly over 16, um, dying. I did not write all of it down, but it was hectic. Um, and a total of nearly 28,000 white people and 20,000 black people died in the various camps. Now, the numbers definitely could have been higher if not for one British lady, um, Emily Hobhouse. She visited some of the camps. I think she also worked as a nurse and she was able to help a few citizens um, by supplying food and necessary medical, um, like medicine or, or uh, mm, I, like, I don't know why I can't think of anything. Um, yeah. Okay, but anyway, so like um, medical supplies or medical needs or anything like that. Now, she was absolutely appalled by what she saw in the concentration camps. There's this one girl that you can... Her name was Lizzie van Zyl, um, L-I-Z-Z-I-E, Van Van v-a-n zyl z-y-l and she was a poor child um and she oh my goodness the picture um is ridiculous um she died in 1901 9th of may 1901 she was seven years old um she died of typhoid fever and um she was literally skin and bones skin and bones and she was in one of those concentration camps and seeing her shook um emily hophouse because um just she emily hophouse just said that she needs she's in desperate need of good care um, but no one listened to her at all um yeah so um, she was appalled by the conditions she saw within the camps. Um, she said that literally it was just killing children and women and something needed to be done. Now, um, she attempted to voice her concerns to the British administration um, at the camps and that was Lord Kitchener himself. So if you remember Lord Kitchener um, who burned down farms and towns without the Boer actually um, doing anything in return 
And so nothing came from her attempts and she felt like she needed to take more drastic action. So she traveled back to England and then she voiced her opposition for the concentration camps um, and their appalling conditions. She showed pictures, she gave information and then um, she was just focused on the liberal opposition and was instrumental instrumental sorry in the government's decision to send a group of women to inspect the situation of the concentration camps and um, the concentration camps was actually shut down now um it started in the 1900s so like early 1900 and it ended in 1902 so it was about two years of hell um to say the least and thousands upon thousands of people died i don't know how many people know about it um but it is one of the darker parts of our history i mean there is a lot of darkness in the history of south africa but that also um when children for me are involved um it it shakes me to my core so i just did some research um of the camp locations it was quite difficult for me um just to get all the names i mean like there are so many places the transfall back in that day it looks to be um the size of or like consisting of Mpumalanga, Limpopo, Gauteng to some extent and um, Northwest province and even a little bit of what we would consider KwaZulu-Natal now and then the Orange Free State was definitely from what I can see um, the Free State and yeah, well, mostly the Free State, maybe a part of um, Gauteng that we would call Gauteng now, and maybe even a little bit of KwaZulu-Natal. So it was a completely different map, um, and it was a huge area. So I tried to track down the camp locations, but it's um, the ones in Transvaal was in Carolina, Armloe, Betal. Balmoral, Baberton, Belfast, Heidelberg, Irene, Johannesburg, or Johannesburg, sorry, Clarksdorp, Krugersdorp, Mankiskop, Middelburg, um, Nelström, Pietersburg, Potchefstroom, Standerton, Van der Wuffenstrift, um, Vereniging, and Volksrust, and then Orange Free State was. Bethuli, Bloemfontein, Brandfort, Harry Smith, Heilbronn, Kroenstad, Norvalspont, Spring, Springfontein, Fredefort Road, um, Windberg, Parijs and Lindley. And then in Natal, um, Colenso, Eschove, Howick, Jacob Siding, Lady Smith. Meerbank, Peter Maritzburg, Pine Town, Wentworth, and the Cape Colonies, um, Alival North, 
East London, Kabusi, Kimberley, Mafeking, Orange River, Port Elizabeth, Eitenhoche, and Freiburg, and potentially many, many more. Um, So, 40 to 46 different concentration camps um, for white people and um, (laughs) let me just get my notes I can't even remember so many numbers so many camps Um, I was 64 to 66 concentration camps for black people so that is the end of this podcast I hope you learned something new. I'm sorry if I messed up some information. I really tried getting a lot of information and reading from different sites. I know there are many books that's published about this. Um, this topic overall, the Anglo-Boer War and, and the concentration camp conditions. Um, so, yes, if you're interested, please read up on the Anglo-Boer War. Um, also the concentration camps there were many wars in South Africa this was not the only one and um, many times it was the British involved so the British versus Zulus the British versus the Afrikaners um, Afrikaners versus Zulus so it was a lot of a lot of problems um, during that time so thank you so much for tuning in I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I tried to keep it short and sweet. And then I will hopefully see you soon. I will try and make another podcast um, while I'm in South Africa. So for one more week, hopefully by next week, I can release another episode. I just need to make the decision about what it will be about. Maybe the Anglo-Boer War itself. Okay, um, we will see. I will see. I will try. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you. I appreciate appreciate you. Oh, my goodness. I appreciate you. Oh, hiccup. Um, and then I heard a joke last night. So, the Lord Kitchener um, was driven out of South Africa. And he hopped on a ship. And when he was on the ship, he screamed, one day I'll get you Afrikaners, I will get you. And six months later, that was the time the first Land Rover um, was delivered in South Africa. And the Land Rover comes with a dog so that the times you walk home, you at least have a companion when the Land Rover breaks. Um, so I just thought of sharing that with you. Yes, because Land Rovers, we are Toyota people and Isuzu people and some people still drive Land Rovers, but um, my family, we're not the biggest fans. <laughs> so um, please subscribe if you haven't and I will see you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening and please stay safe. Enjoy your weekend. Goodbye. Okay,